future. What star is that? Police all my draws, I had to pause. 40 ounce in my lap and it's freezing my A. You know what it is. Thank you for listening to FarsideTV.com. You are listening to Side Life Radio. And as always, I am your host, the one, the only, Adisa, the bishop. A.K.A. the black dragon of the west side. A.K.A. Zatoichi. Domo arigato gozaimasu. A.K.A. the South Bay Shogun. You know what it is. A.K.A. the Iron Hook Assassin. A.K.A. the Black Cortez Killer. Mm. Bishop Chronicles is the world's first podcast giving you West Coast perspectives on hip-hop, MMA, and health and fitness trends. Ain't nobody out there lacing your cranium with this here vibranium like Adisa, the Bishop of Hip-Hop. Understand, you can be down now or you can bow down later. This is how we do out here. This is West Coast OGs all day. So thank you for taking the time to tune in. Thank you. You know what I mean? You might be stuck in traffic. You know what I mean? You might be uh, in school right now. In between classes, because you better not listen to this while you're in class. Pay attention to the teacher. Pay attention. Um, you know what I'm saying? In summer school, you know what I'm saying? But just do me and my man Mike Realm a favor. Do me a favor. Just go follow right now on iTunes or Spotify or Mixcloud. By the way, I just set up a profile on Spotify and I have like hella songs. Come listen to my little curated uh, gatherings of hip hop. Heavy metal and reggae. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hip-hop, heavy metal, and reggae. That's right. Come through. Check me out. The Bishop. You know what I'm saying? Adisa the Bishop. Come see me. I'm, you know what I'm saying? Listen to my joints, bro. All right. So, as always, if you're trying to just holler at your boy, you can always get at me uh, on Instagram at Real Hip Hop Chess on IG. At Real Hip Hop Chess on IG. You know what I'm saying? I've been chilling. I hope you've been chilling. And we're about to go do this. So, <clears throat> opening giving heartbeat props. Heartbeat props and when you give a shout out to people who are, you know what I'm saying, actually living and not waiting until they pass away to be like, man, we got love for Greg. Man, y'all didn't say nothing to Greg. Last week, he was trying to get y'all buy his t-shirts and you didn't want to buy them. So, we giving love to the people who give love to us. And I want you to take a minute today, call three people, tell them that you appreciate them and be specific about why. So I'm going to give uh, three shout outs real quick. First to my man Nasir out in Stockport in the UK. What's up, Ock? Peace, bruh. Peace. How you living, bae? Know what I mean? This dude has been down with me since the early days, like pre-Hip Hop Chess Federation. You know what I mean? When I was just running running blogs and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um, he's a good dude. And he reminded me. I, I, he said, yo, man, I still drink the Bishop's Red Caddy and the Bishop's Black Caddy. Did you know that Adisa was the creator of two beverages? Hmm? Hmm? Two beverages, non-alcoholic. Let's talk about the first one. The Bishop's Red Caddy is a 7-Up with three, maybe four, teaspoons of grenadine, red syrup. You know what I mean? And then you... Squeeze in three lemons wedges, three lemon wedges. You need the lemon wedges for the bite. 
You need that bite in there. You know what I mean? If it's the black caddy, it's Coke with three lemon wedges and three or four grenadine tablespoons, you know what I'm saying? Sweeten the yo taste. You feel me? So shout out to Nasir, bro. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for drinking them beverages, bae. You know what I mean? That's a good summer beverage. It's a good summer beverage for you. And I'm not saying to drink soda all the time, obviously. You know what I mean? I mainly drink water and tea. But sometimes, especially on the weekends, on my cheat day, Fridays are my cheat day, that's how I get down. And now I'm shouting out the producer, the hip-hop producer. You know what I mean? On Beats. He actually, you may have heard his name come up when I was talking with Tyson Amir on the last show. This dude has been making break records and making beats, like dope beats, since way back in the Peanut Butter Wolf pre-Stones Throw era. Pre-Stones Throw. Shout out to On Beats, man. Me and him been uh, teaching together hip-hop history at Creekside uh, Junior High. It's actually, they got a high school summer school going on there. We do U.S. history, you know what I'm saying? And I teach the first half going through U.S. history and then correlating to how hip-hop has kind of echoed some of those sentiments, you know what I'm saying? And uh, it's been pretty dope, man. It's been pretty dope. Um, What have I been up to? Man, trying to stay out this quake, dog. I'm in the Bay hella scared. Much respect and love to all of the firefighters and, and first responders, man. In this quake in in, in, in in Cali, in Southern Cali. Much love, man. I'm up in the Bay. I'm hella scared. Listen, bottom line is this, bro. This whole state is unstable. Always been unstable. You know what I mean? I was here in the 89 earthquake. It was crazy after that. I feel like the Bay is overdue. And I hate to say that out loud, but I do. And I grew up on the fault line. You know what I mean? San Andreas is just a game to y'all. Not me. Live here, dog. On the fault line. So... You know, the idea of a 7.1 hitting where I live is terrifying. But whatever, right? Still got to ride the bark. Oh, my God. Um, Beyond that, like I said, teaching at Creekside, right? So what do we teach this week? A lot. And it was amazing. Hip-hop education is the future. Remember that I said that. Hip-hop education is the future, and it should be applied in every subject. And it is applicable in virtually every subject. And that is not something that can be done with rock jazz, classical, or a lot of other music forms. You know what I'm saying? Blues. And there's no disrespect to any of them. I'm telling you, there's something special about hip-hop that because it comes from black and Latino men and women, it gets ignored. Because it's youth culture, it gets ignored. I'm telling you, we have been having amazing classes. Amazing classes. So I teach the first half on history and how it played out in hip-hop and then um on beats teaches the beat making you know what i mean he's teaching a whole thing on ableton these kids is out here remaking the juicy beat from big and then putting a nas acapella on top in a week week and some change come on dog your kids don't need that huh we get into like breaks where they came from but it's sick so you might be saying to yourself, okay, well, what you teaching then, Deese? What you teaching? Let me tell you exactly what I'm teaching. This week, we looked at how the mafia worked with the United States government to pull off the Bay of Pigs. And when the Bay of Pigs failed because Kennedy wouldn't send in the air support, he got killed by the mob. That's what really happened. And that's not a conspiracy. That's documentable facts. There's books on this. The History Channel even did a whole uh, thing on it. And don't go, oh, well, the History Channel. Bruh, I don't play games, bro. I know what I'm talking about. 
All right? Kennedy got clapped by the mob because not just the Bay of Pigs, but I think I may get his names wrong if I do forgive me. I think it's Sam Giancana in Chicago got him the votes they needed to win Chicago. The Kennedy said, will you get us Chicago? He said, yeah. He helped lock Chicago. And he was like, all we want is don't mess with us. Let the mob do what we do. Don't be honest. As soon as he got in, they was like, yo, we on the mob. It's a problem. And so they felt betrayed. They felt betrayed and they went after him. And there was a mob boss in New Orleans who I'm forgetting and Sam Giancana, if I'm right with that name, whoever was, was running the mob in Chicago at that time. And that's how he got killed. We also then looked at the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., how the government never really liked him, but it was really after he started critiquing Vietnam that he became a problem to the United States government in a way that they really didn't like. And that between JFK's assassination and Dr. King's assassination, and the Vietnam War, that is how you get the recipe for hip-hop being consistently anti-war. And that's where you really get the foundation of hip-hop being used and seen as a tool of nonviolence. And you already know how I feel. I believe every element of hip-hop, DJing, MCing, graffiti, all forms of hip-hop dance, right? And knowledge itself, knowledge itself, are all weapons against the state, nonviolent weapons against the state. Because if you come up with the illest, most violent rhyme, most hurtful lyric you can ever come from, I don't care what you're talking about, 50 Cent, some from Jedi Mind Tricks, some from NWA, whoever hurt your feelings, Cardi B, you know what I'm saying? Future, whatever, I don't care. It's still a poem. A, 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 a person who could have got mad and picked up a gun, picked up a pen. Then we can have a bigger argument about, well, what happens with life imitating art, art imitating life, whatever. It's a poem. It's nonviolence, ultimately. And I always stand by that. So my point is, is that when the people who did have to go, right, they got drafted in, into Vietnam or whatever. When they came back, these are the guys that had PTSD before we knew what it was. These are the guys that got strung out on heroin, right? These are the guys that first ended up getting strung out on crack. These, these were the parents of the children that created hip hop. These were the parents of the children that created hip hop. And then when you fast forward into the early 90s, when hip hop is in its like, arguably its strongest moment, you find... Casualties of War by um, Rakim. And there are several other songs, anti-war songs, right? You, you remember uh, Public Enemies, Black Steel and the Hour of Chaos, right? Was about like a dude not wanting to get drafted, going to the clink, and then they got to break him out, right? So this was the kind of music that was coming out of hip hop. And it's directly because of the protest positions, not just of Dr. King, right, um, and others like him, but again, because the parent, the, the, the adults that went to war back then came back and became the parents of those that created hip hop. So when Operation Desert Storm and Operation Desert Shield came up, no, hip hop was not having it. And that's why hip hop has always been anti-war. Right, because these these kids had parents who 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 suffered from Agent Orange poisoning, right? And so these are the kinds of things that we talked about. Then we did a whole secondary look 
at the impact of Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X on Muhammad Ali, right? And how he was a rhymer, right? Basically a freestyle battle rhymer who, who was a boxer, okay? And we looked at the rumble in the jungle. And a lot of people forget that the rumble in the jungle when Ali fought uh, uh, George Foreman, that there was a music festival with that. And James Brown was like the main dude at that. So I was explaining how if you really just look at Muhammad Ali's rhymes and you really look at um, James Brown's beats, you basically have the foundation of hip hop right there, right there. Um, then we looked at women in hip hop. We did a whole day on women in hip hop. We had, um, we looked at Lauren Hill, Queen Latifah, DJ Pam the Funkstress. We showed, uh, B-Girl Battles, and we looked at Snow the Product. We, uh, man, I mean, it was just powerful stuff. We looked at Asada Shakur, right, and her impact on Tupac, and just crazy stuff, man. It was beautiful, and I love doing it, and I love teaching the youngsters, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, that's where the OG's been at, man. That's, that's, what's, that's, that's what's up over here. So, yeah, so beyond that, man, you know what? I've been slowly getting back into jujitsu. You know, I've been dealing with some injuries and just distractions because life is crazy. And I've created a haiku, a Japanese poem about jujitsu. Mike, can you give me some flutes, please? I need I need some Japanese flutes, bro. Help me out. Or or if you have some harp strings. You ready? Here we go. Now remember, for those that don't know about haikus, they do not have to rhyme. It's based on syllables. Five syllables is the first line. Seven syllables is the second. And five is, is, is the third line. It's a three-line poem. Okay, you ready? This is my contribution to haikus. Here we go. Flutes, please. Or harps, whatever you got. Fist bump, then battle. Blood on my kimono now. I radiate chi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so your boy's been writing haikus all the time. Like, no joke. Like, I really have a whole bunch of haikus. They're not all jujitsu based. Some of them are romantic. I do have a soft side, you know. Um, what am I listening to? Whew. Let me tell you, player. Let me ever, ever tell you, player. So, um, on Spotify, I've been listening to this group called Children of Zeus. Oh my God, you are sleeping. I've been sleeping. One of my homegirls put me up on Children of Zeus. Ridiculous. Children of Zeus. Listen to what I tell you. It's an MC and a singer, bruh. You need to listen. Smoke with me. I do not smoke. I don't. But you know what? Smoke with me is an amazing song. It's an amazing song. Um... Follow them immediately on Spotify. Listen to Smoke With Me, but they have hella songs. And you know what? I'm, I'm not going to lie. For the Bay, all y'all should be rocking with these dudes because they're ridiculous. Um, the other day, also going back to the to the Creekside class, we, we did a whole thing on storytelling in hip hop. And, you know, I'm breaking down Ice Cube once, a time, once upon a time in the projects. We're breaking down a children's story. We're breaking down um, Biz Marquis, Just a Friend. And this is why old people like me need to listen to the young people like them. And this wasn't even me. On beats. He was like, hey, 
what story raps do you guys think we should listen to? Because we telling you all our favorite classic story raps. Boy, listen, have you ever looked up Rico's story by Speaker Knockers? Rico's story. Unbelievable story rap. It's in four parts about a kid who's down on his luck with his lady. So he decides to rob a bank. And as you can imagine, everything goes wrong. Crazy thing is, this ain't even new. In fact, Speaker Knockers is dead. Unbelievable. In real life, Speaker Knockers is dead. You need to look up Rico's story. On YouTube, there's a video. It's in four parts, but there's only a video for the first section of the story. Unbelievable. Um, Otherwise, you can listen to the whole thing on Spotify, but it's unbelievable, and it's really tragic because Speaker Knockers was hard. (laughs) Hard. Hella late. And then... um, Came up on this one girl who busts acapella bars on on Insta called Malena. Mostly she be rapping about boys who act a fool and don't 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 show respect to women and stuff. But she's raw. Is she signed? Malena is spelled M A L A Y N A H. M A L A Y N A H. Malena. Oh my God. Bars. Listen to what I'm telling you. Listen to what I'm telling you. She raw. Latinas are about to uh, kick the door in a little bit more for hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Move over, Cardi B. No, I'm just kidding. Cardi B, I'm a fan. You already know. Anyway, um, what am I reading? I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. I hope I said his name right. Ramit Sethi. It says, no guilt, no excuses, no BS, just a six-week program that works. Here's the deal. I'm 49 years old. Other than put money in the bank, I have no plans. I have to, like, live better, bro. <laughs> so I got the book. I'm going to read up, you know what I'm saying? Financial literacy. It's a thing. I'm late to the party, I know. Um, beyond that, man, I'm just, you know, working out, trying to handle my finances and whatnot. Um... And that's all she wrote. Uh, I am really about to push meat all the way out of my life, though. I went to the doctor. I'm looking good. Uh, I'm doing a a pescatarian thing right now. I do eat meat sometimes. I would like to be fully vegetarian. I don't know if I can do vegan. Um, Especially because I have like a... I need to take vitamin B12 and you can only mainly get that through meat i do have you know these these b12 supplements but i don't know i'm still figuring it out i do know that 90 percent of my diet is is vegetarian though you know what i'm saying and you know the more that you look at the vegetarian lifestyle it's, it's pretty deep because if you look at all the prophets of the bible and whatnot they were largely vegetarian they normally only ate meat when the people ate meat and they would eat meat with them but they themselves normally ate strictly vegetables for real look it up also uh the stoic philosopher seneca was vegetarian for the bulk of his life. And I guess he left being vegetarian because some political party also became vegetarian and he didn't want to be like affiliated with them. But he swore by it. He said that it made his mind more active and he thought it was pleasant and easy to do, right? And so I'm going to encourage you to be a vegetarian. Yep, for sure. Beyond that, I'm just eating, man, a lot of fruits and vegetables, yogurt, Nuts, drinking a lot of natural juices, tons of pH water, and um, 
I just, my body does not like meat as much. That's just what it is. Now that might change, but I doubt it. Finally, I want to talk about quickly about the UFC. Oh my God. We're going to start with Ben Askren. Five second fight, knee to the head. Masvidal was hella serious. Let me tell you something. Street fighters are way more dangerous than you think because what happened to Askren is something that a street fighter would think of. You know, it's almost like a classically trained chess player, grandmaster, going against a street player. Sometimes these street players will get you, bro, because they think outside the little framework that most of us come from, right? And so they're going to do something slightly to the left. And that's what happened. Ben Askren. I'm not mad at him. A lot of people hate him. I do feel he's a little arrogant sometimes. But, you know, you got to beat a fight. You know what I'm saying? But props to Masvidal. And I would love to see Masvidal and Usman. That would be a barn burner. But will Dana make Masvidal fight Woodley before then? <laughs> that could be buck wild. All right. Now let's look at Noons, huh? I really thought Holly Holm had a shot. I still think she does. I hope she comes back. And first of all, let me just say hats off all the way to Noons. You know, I really don't think that we can appreciate all the things that she had to overcome coming from Brazil, being a lesbian, wanting to fight in a world that didn't have a place for her at all, really. But she stuck with her own passion. She stuck with her own truth, man. And to see her there winning, it's just beautiful. Now, back to the actual fight. I thought she was going to take home down. I realized that you don't really see home on the ground much. And I figured she would take her down and submit her using strikes to engage her. Home came out really strong, standing sideways and controlling the distance and staying super safe. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the more that Noons engaged her, she got square, right? So she was standing sideways and then she would face her. The more that she faced her, the more damage she took. And once she could get her to stay square, she set up the kick. Hats off to Noons on that. That was just poetic. She is probably the greatest fighter alive. That's a woman in the cage. I think someone said that she said she was possibly the greatest fighter ever. I'm not sure she's fought enough. I mean, has she, has she had a career as long as John Jones? Has she had a career as long as a whole bunch of other people in this game? I don't know. I think she's got to she's got to she's got she's got to put in more time, but it looks like she's right. It looks like she's right. You know, I was talking to one of my homies and it was like, "Oh, you know, uh when the when the when women are fighting women, it's not the same as men fighting men." And all I'm saying is, and I've been saying it for a while, the women in the cage are more dynamic, give better fights, show more technique, and show more courage. And quite honestly, I think there's a lot of dudes in that same weight class that if they had to fight noons would get beat up, fool. You know what I'm saying? A lot of the women who are off the chain in the cage, I think they could beat up a lot of dudes in their, in, that are their weight. Not kidding. And I'm not encouraging that kind of uh, competition at all. I'm just saying that it could happen. And if it did, I wouldn't be worried about noons. I think she'd knock a lot of dudes out. So next up, my interview with Denny Prokopos, 300. You understand me? Um, follow him, Denny Prokopos on IG. At Denny Prokopos on IG. This guy 
is Eddie Bravo's first black belt. This dude, his knowledge of jujitsu is high gear. We have two interviews. This is the first one. It's really just about jujitsu. Our next one is about music and martial arts. But this, this part one, is great. If you really about jujitsu, if you love the gentle art, if you want to hear about the mindset of a champion and what it means to train and go after it and the sacrifices that people make that you never hear about, this is the show. Bishop Chronicles, Worldwide West Side. All right? Enjoy this. Much love. What's up, world? You know what it is, man. Adisa Banjoko, a.k.a. the Black Dragon of the West Side. Know what I mean? Iron Hook Assassin, boy. West Side Worldwide is how we do it every time. I am chilling with, like, one of the most respected no-gi killers ever, dog. Like, I'm not playing. Like, I know, like, you know, it's it's easy for me to get up here and say, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I kicked it with this dude or that dude. Or me and the homie used to be homies. And me and the partner used to be partners. But, like, I've known this dude since he was 12. All right? Now, if you've ever been a part of this real jujitsu scene, if you've ever given a damn about no gi, you already know. Danny 300 Pocopos. You know what I mean? What's welcome up? To, welcome to the Bishop Chronicles, man. How are you? Wonderful. We just got done training, you know, uh, enjoying another beautiful day. That's it. What uh, What did you teach today? Today, I actually went over uh, rear naked chokes. Went over rear naked chokes today. And um, I specifically went over how to control the back, the importance of the hooks, the importance of the over-under, the overhand, the underhand, how to squeeze um, how to put your hips in and uh, what side you want to be on. So we went over one topic, but um, we went into it very uh, in depth. Yeah, man. You know, like it's funny, like he said, you know, in passing, like, you know, how to put your hips in. You know, I think when people when people are watching the UFC or they're watching MMA or they're even watching jujitsu. So, yeah, you know, when people talk about putting the hips in, when you're watching jujitsu or, or when you're watching the UFC, I think a lot of times people don't understand how in order for one person to control another, so much of it relies on hip pressure. You know what I mean? And, and when, you're, when you're attacking from the back or when you have the mount. Talk about, like, for people that don't understand jujitsu or don't practice it, like, how important is understanding where your hips are in, in, in proportion to your opponent? Uh, I, I think it's super important. You know, um, it's one of the most important things in terms of controlling and uh, putting pressure. Not, mm -hmm. not just controlling, but putting pressure and also like how to properly align, which helps you control and put pressure. Uh, your hips always want to be aligned because if if you have good alignment, then you can control, and if you can control, that will lead you to a finish or improving yeah. your position. Now, you know, it's crazy because, like, if I'm just being honest, like, as a friend and as a fan, I have never properly kept up with all of the titles that you have held over the years. I know because I've known you since you were super young that you're you know uh one of charles's standout dudes way back charles gracie you know what i'm saying that's where we met you know shout out to charles uh what's up cristiano and the rest of the squad um i know you're eddie bravo's first black belt who 
pioneered the lane and made it possible for so many other people to believe that people beyond Eddie could do it. You know what I mean? Definitely. You know, Definitely. like nobody, everybody thought like Eddie was just a weirdo who, who did all this flexible stuff until you started finishing people. Um, and I think that also opened up a lot, at least in North America, probably the world, for understanding the value of no gi, just period. You know what I'm saying? Um, but talk to me about some of the titles that you've held, and then I kind of want to run back and, 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 and look at some of your more, the, the matches that you believe defined you. Uh, so, um, I mean, probably in my career, the the most important titles were was when I was nine year, uh, when I was 19 years old I won the IBJJF Brown Belt World Championship at lightweight um, I was actually the first ever uh, world champ at 162 pounds at Brown Belt I was the inaugural that was the first ever worlds that they held under the IBJJF um, when I was 21 years old six weeks after I got my black belt I took third in the IBJJF Black Belt Nogi Worlds. Then I took second in the Fila Worlds that same year. And then and that was in Poland, right? No, that, that was actually in Florida in the United States. Okay. And then um, in 2010, I ended up winning the Fila Worlds. And I ended up after that, I won a few super fights. Uh, I ended up winning Gracie Worlds as a black belt. I won EBI, um, had some super fights, and uh, and then I had some combat jujitsu matches. Now, man, like let's talk about combat jujitsu because I think a lot of people still are new to it. Like it's weird, like how you have like jujitsu as like a niche market, and then you have like niches inside the niche, right? Like, what is combat jujitsu? Yeah, talking about niches is funny because like there's gi and then there's no gi, right? And then there's points and then there's sub only, right? right? And then there's sub only and then there's combat jujitsu. So it's like a niche within a niche within yeah, a niche. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, combat jujitsu is basically it's sub only, submission only rules with uh, EBI overtimes, and once one knee hits the ground, right? Mm -hmm. You can technically strike with an open hand and it has to be specifically with an open hand um to the can, body or the face to the body or to the face but you can also hit the legs because in 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 the last combat jiu-jitsu match that i had it was i thought it was a unique strategy the guy was actually hitting my legs and when um there's a famous combat jiu-jitsu match that happened um between uh brooke mayo mm -hmm. and uh Alima Lay McFarlane where like one of them ended up like hitting them in the in the glutes. Oh, for real? I guess that's the right way to say it. The glutes. <laughs> yeah, the glutes. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's 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 famous footage that's gone viral. viral. Yeah. It's gone viral throughout Instagram. So what are the matches that you think defined you, man? I mean, you have a unique style. You have a very... Uh, I would I would define your style. I don't know how you would define it. I see your style as very clean, uh, uh, as very aggressive, and very very pressure based. Is that accurate? How how did you how would you? Yeah, that, that's definitely fair to say. Uh, I always look to attack. My mentality is attack, attack, attack. Always look for the finish, and um, I'm always looking to win. 
I'm always looking to impose myself and play my game. That, that's, that's always my mentality. You know, different people compete for different reasons, but ever since I've been a kid, when I've competed, uh, competition for me is just, it's all about one thing, winning. It's just about winning. Like, uh, I don't compete to test myself. I test myself in the gym. And uh, to tell you the truth, if I didn't think that I would win, I wouldn't fight. Right. You know, um, a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to test myself and go see what happens. I think that's a losing mentality. I think the mentality is, uh, the mentality should be, I'm going to go there and I'm going to win. And obviously there's going to be times that you're going to doubt yourself. That's normal. That's right. normal to have doubt. That's just competition. But if you don't believe that you can win, you, you shouldn't be competing, in my opinion. You know, I think that's real. I think that's real. Yeah, I mean, I, I think today um, there's a lot of people that, you know, say certain things for the cameras or whatever. I think it's bullshit. I think, and I think it's it's a loser's mentality. I think the mentality should be there to go and win, and that's it. And you know, all the all the best champions that I've ever been around, whether it's Jean Jacques Machado or Kyle Terra um, or Yuri Samoins, you know. Uh, or Jake Shields, they all say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to win. That, yeah. That's it. That's the mentality, man. The mentality is go there and win. Let me let me ask you real quick. For those that don't know where your school's at, tell them where it's at. Yeah, San Francisco Jiu-Jitsu, Denny Procopos Academy, 261 South Van Ness, between 13th and 14th in San Francisco, California. Yeah, man. Like, this is a dope school, man. A lot of killers in here, man. Like, all weight classes, all kinds of belt levels. And the, the the classes are live. So if you're interested in Nogi and you're in and around San Francisco, you need to, or you're visiting from out of town, you need to put this place on your uh, destination list for real. Now, let's talk about your brown belt match when you, when you first won that. Um, now, Joe Rogan was your corner man? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I was supposed to have three matches, but I ended up having two. The first guy didn't make weight, so I got a bye. And then I had two matches, won the first round, were naked. And then the second one, which was the finals, I ended up winning by two points with a double leg takedown. And uh, Joe Rogan cornered me that day. How did that feel? Um, that's one of the um, it's one of the greatest moments of my life. Uh, you know, from from the age of 12 years old, I wanted to become a world champion. And that was my first time attempting a world. And, um, you know, at the time too, you know, there was, there's a lot of people talking shit about 10th planet jujitsu They're you know, they're saying it's, 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 it's fake. It's this, it's that. And, uh, I didn't just want to win it for me. You know, I wanted to win it for Eddie. Mm -hmm. I wanted to win it for 10th planet, mm -hmm. you know? So I was really happy to win, um, you know, because it brought us respect, you yeah. know, it brought us respect. Um, you know, there, there were definitely still a lot of haters, but I mean, you know, here's the truth at the end of the day, anybody can hate and they can say whatever they want, but you know, winning is winning and no one can argue with the results. Yeah. No, I think that's really real now. Now, um, how long was the time that you won that tournament to the time that you got your black belt? So I was 19 when I won the Nogi Brown Belt Worlds, and then I was 21 
when I got my black belt. Um, it was almost two years after. It was almost. It, w- it was a little under two years that I ended up getting my um, black belt. Mm-hmm. I believe it was a, a year nine months mm-hmm. after that tournament, um, and I got my black. Got my. I got my black belt September twenty ninth, two thousand nine, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I believe the Nogi Worlds at Brown Belt was December. It, it was like, I, th- I think it was like around December 12th, mm. somewhere around there, mm. like 2007. So yeah. that was 2007. And then September 29th, 2009, I got, my, I got my black belt. And then I ended up doing the Worlds later on that year in November. So six weeks after that. So what do you think you did between winning worlds and getting your black like what do you remember about was there anything that you remember about your training about your mindset about your diet what was what was happening that that got you to that point do you think or did you just stay the course and then you got it like how do you how do you interpret the growth that led to you getting that because you know you can only be the first guy to get your black under eddie once so what what do you think was the key well I think Eddie was in a really unique situation at the time because he hadn't promoted anybody to black belt. And I think he was waiting for someone to do something that, you know, stood out, that stood out. And so there was winning the Nogi Worlds. And then another really big tournament after that was that, that I ended up winning after that was Nogi Nationals, IBJJF. Mm-hmm. I ended up winning that tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, I like to note that in neither, neither of those tournaments did anybody score points on me. Yeah, that's deep. And, um, you know, at the time when we were training, the, the, there, were, the, there were guys, you know, at uh, back then it wasn't called HQ, it was just 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu because mm-hmm. we just had one gym. Mm-hmm. There was just... There were there were definitely other guys that could have got their black belts, but and like for example, Jason Chambers. Jason, I actually thought Jason Chambers was better than me. Mm-hmm. Like when we rolled, he would tap me more. Mm-hmm. You know, at the mm-hmm. time, you know. Um, so and and he was fighting in Japan at the time, and he was winning. He mm-hmm. was he was making noise. So I, I I totally understood. Like if that dude would have got his black belt before me, I would have totally understood that. Mm-hmm. You know, but. Uh, at the time, him and I and uh, Sean Bollinger, like right. the three of us, we were going. We, we we were all like the three like main dudes that were competing. Yeah, you know we were at that level. Um, but I was, you know, I ended up obviously. So I won. I won the Nogi Worlds as a brown, and then I ended up winning nationals. Um, so I won nationals after I won worlds, mm-hmm. and. Uh, You know, at the time, so I think, you know, after, I think, so, you know, I've been tapping black belts since I was 17 years old. Actually, the first time I think I tapped the black belt, that was like 14 or 15, you know, either one or the other. Were you still at Charles's? Yes. Yes, I was. And, um, but, you know, by the time I got to 17, I was, 
it was common for me to tap black belts. Because you were just, you knew your style, you knew where you were headed, and you knew what you wanted to see. Yeah, and like, I mean, at the time too, you know, I mean, I was going to high school, but I, I was basically, you know, training six to eight hours a day. I was, I was going to high school, I was teaching, and I was training six to eight hours a day, and jujitsu was my only focus. And at, at that time, th that's the only thing I thought about. Right. You I know? remember. <laughs> and, I remember. Um, so e even though I was training with adults, you know, I, I felt like I had a really big advantage just because I could put in so much more time. And also, too, at the time, looking back, I recovered so much more quicker mm. then than I do now. Right, right, know? right, right, right. Because I was, you know, 17, 18. Right. When you're 17, 18, 19. And you're disciplined. Yeah, your, your recovery is just so much more next level, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean... So, it's, yeah. No, that's beautiful. So, tell me about the day you got your black. Did you expect it? Yeah, uh, the day I got my black belt. Actually, well, after, so I, I, I talked to Eddie and, you know, I, I remember saying, I'm like, hey, uh, what do I have to do to get to the next level? Because I never asked him what I have to do to get my black belt. Mm -hmm. the, the question was, what do I have to do to get to the next level? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? And uh, he's like, win me one more big tournament. And, um, you know, I won nationals and basically that was in Vegas. And then a few, about, I think it was like two or three days after that, I went down to LA and, you know, he gave me my black belt. So I knew I was getting it. It wasn't a surprise. You know, there were a lot of people there. I think there were like 60 people in the room. It was definitely one of the best days of my life. You know, it's definitely one of my proudest moments. And it's, uh, it's still, uh, it's something that means, you know, I mean, means, dude, it means the world, huge. means the world to me, you know, you now, know, cause, cause, uh, you know, I love Eddie and I respect him, yeah. you know, he's like a father figure to me. So, yeah. uh, you know, I consider him like a second father and, uh, shout out to Eddie Bravo. Cause among other things, he gave me and my ex-wife tickets to the UFC way back in the day. <laughs> yeah, man. That was dope. And you hooked that up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of our wedding anniversaries. Uh, that was dope. Um, let me ask you, man. You, you, you know, outside of your titles, man, and this, this just hit me because I had this whole other line of questioning, but like, I was remembering one time I talked to you after you went down to Florida and you had trained with Liborio. Yes. And you were like, yo, Laborio's whole cranium is on a different level and the stuff that he teaches. But I want to ask you just like, I will name some people that I know you've trained with and just kind of, can you talk to me about like what you got from them, the, the things that you think uh, gives them an edge as an instructor and, and, and what you gained from, from, from your time. So we'll start with Laborio, just because I remember that. Yeah, so for the 2009 Feel of Worlds, there was a world camp at American Top Team and he was the head coach of Team USA. So I was very fortunate because I, ha I got the opportunity to spend 10 days in Florida and every day I was training with Laborio. We were training twice a day and um, what I learned from him uh, was strategy specifically for that event. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was exposed to 
new ideas on guard passing. I was exposed to more setups on the head and arm choke, which was something that's a specialty of his. Mm-hmm. Um, new concepts on how to control the back. And also I learned new setups on uh, the north-south choke. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was actually, uh, I had the honor of uh, sparring with him it was it was actually really cool because he didn't he I I didn't see him spar with anybody else but he sparred with me. That's cool. Yeah, um, I had a uh, yeah, I I don't know. I think the, you know Laborio and I like I I met him at the at the worlds uh, at the world at the U.S. World Team Trials and we hit it off really well. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I think I was having like a weird day in training. I did really good, but I don't know. There was something that I guess was off about me that day, or at least he felt it. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, and uh, he sparred with me and it made me really happy. He beat the shit out of me. Right. And it was a humbling experience, but it, it just made me really happy that mm-hmm. I got to train with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and how old were you? 20, like 21 yeah 21 at the time yeah 21 and uh it was a great experience great experience very humbling experience and uh it was funny dude because he ended up you know he, he ended up tapping me and like one of the times that he tapped me he, he tapped me with a rape joke i'm like oh shit <laughs> you know and i was like i was like i'm not gonna tap to this and the next thing i knew i was tapping. tapping so but now, um, you've trained with Jean-Jacques, right? Many, many times for a long time. Yeah. Right? Like, when was the first time you remember getting to train with him? Because, like, just for those that are not necessarily embedded in the jiu-jitsu world, like, Jean-Jacques Machado, it's hard for me to put into words how impactful he has been for jiu-jitsu. It's hard for me to put into words how pioneering he was for uh, no gi, you know, let alone the gi. And um, he's he's absolutely a legend. So tell me about. Yeah, Jean Jacques's one of the greatest of all time, man. Gear no gi, you know. Um, you know he won ADCC, and um, so growing up in jujitsu, I my entry to jujitsu. I started training February twelfth, two thousand one, which is funny because that's his birthday. That's crazy. He st- his birthday is February 12th. That's nuts. Yeah. So the era that I entered into jujitsu, um, he was, when it came to ADCC, he was the king at 77 kilograms. Yeah. And um, I remember just watching him and I remember being so amazed because one, he's finishing everything He's finishing everybody, everybody right. you know, and also too, you know, his his hands different. Yeah, he has a he has um, he doesn't have all the digits on one hand. Yes, so I I just I remember thinking, wow, that's that's amazing, and not just that, man. Like I remember watching him compete, and I'm like, man, he looks so confident, like in his eyes. Yeah, he always he, has a fire focus yeah man and um from the beginning that was someone that i looked up to mm-hmm. you know that was someone that i looked up to and 
a few years after I got into jiu-jitsu, I think I was around 14, I ended up meeting him because he was putting on the grappling games tournaments and I competed in I a few those. of those. Yeah. And um and what year was this? What year was that? Oof. It's got to be at least anywhere between 2002 and 2003. That's what I thought, yeah. Somewhere around there. Um and I, I started training with Jean-Jacques when I was 21 years old. Okay. Started training with Jean-Jacques when I was 21. Eddie took me down there. And, you know, basically from then, 21 at the time, I'm 31 now. From then till now, I've been going down there and I've been training with him for a decade now. You know, and um, it's, it's, uh, it's been amazing to train with him. You know, uh, what do you take away from him? What do you see? What, what, what do people who admire him? What are the things that you're experiencing that, that, that as much as we may be as someone like myself as a fan, as an admirer, can't have access to is not, you know, well, there's many things. There's not just one thing. I'm sure the, the very first thing is that philosophically he's my favorite. He talks about the physical aspect of the, the physical aspect of jujitsu, the technical aspect of jujitsu, the mental aspect and the spiritual aspect. And um, on a technical level, his his technique to me is like probably the most effortless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's invisible jujitsu. It's, it's very clean, man. Yeah, the transitions are clean, man. A hundred percent, and and. You know, I, you know, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu is my base, you know, and 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu comes from Jean-Jacques Machado. Yeah. So he's like the root of all the evolution. Exactly. So, man, anything Jean-Jacques shows me, I can just like instantly do. It's not like that with everybody else's Mm Jiu-Jitsu, but with Mm -hmm. his Jiu-Jitsu very specifically, it just makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. So much sense. And, you know, um, there's that, you know, and um, and then, you know, there's the mental game. Um, I, I, I love his mentality. Yeah. You know, like I remember one time talking to him and this is going back to what we previously spoke about. And I'm like, what do you think about the mentality? Like, just go there and win. He's like, that's the, that, that's the mentality. That's that's how you should be thinking, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, that, and the mentality of attack, 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 you know? Why attack, attack, attack? For people that don't get that, why? Jiu-jitsu's not running. Jiu-jitsu's going to the guy. Right. You know, like, so so when let's say you're boxing or you're kickboxing, you know, you, you, can, you can move in and out, in and out, in and out. And the truth is, there are times when you when you should do that in jujitsu. There are times when you should, like if you're fighting Be someone, evasive. yeah. The, if you're fighting someone much bigger, I can understand that. But if you're fighting, if if you're fighting or grappling someone that's close to your weight, you shouldn't. You should just be going Go to them, and you know you should just be connecting and look to impose your game. And um, there's that, and then you know attack, attack, attack because. What are you trying to do? You're trying to tap the guy out. You know, that's that. Trying that, to get that choke, get that arm lock, get that leg. Exactly. So that's that's the mentality, you know. And um, 
and, and, and like another thing for me, like a real on like a real personal level, you know, I grew up idolizing John Jacques. Yeah. That's, you know, when I was a kid, when I was in my early teens, in my late teens, that's who I wanted to be like. Yeah. That's what, you know, that's, that's the guy that I idolized and I wanted to be like. So for me, it's like, my, so my childhood basketball hero is Michael Jordan. Right. You know, it's basically like learning from and, Jordan. Yeah. It's like learning. It's like learning from Jordan and, and also getting to play with Jordan. Right. You know, and, um, there's that and um have you ever trained with Regan with Hegan Machado rather? Higgin yeah sorry yeah Higgin. I said it wrong, yeah. yeah I've 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 trained with Higgin and Higgin what are their differences in terms of it are there or rather are there any major differences in the way that 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 Higgin teaches versus versus Jean-Jacques Higgin Machado just so you know if you like John Wick you like Higgin Machado yeah, because he <laughs> yeah because he, he, he trained John Wick so yep. <laughs> he trains Keanu Reeves and actually I I believe all the brothers do yeah all, all, I believe all the yeah. brothers do all the Machados um, shout so, out to John Wick three go see it yeah go check it out I'm a fan of John Wick it's a badass movie I like two though I haven't seen three I'm just gonna say I liked watching Common in in, in John Wick I thought he actually he he did better moving around doing jujitsu than I expected. That's awesome. Shout out to Common. Although, do you really train? I'm curious. I don't know. I'm going to have to ask the guy. Um, what are the differences between Higgin and Jean-Jacques? Um, well, with Higgin, I've only had the opportunity to take two seminars from him, which he taught at my school. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, with Jean-Jacques, uh, spent a, a lot of- Like years. Uh, you know, I've spent like a decade on the mat with him. Right. So it's- It's, it's, it's I, not an easy question. It's, it's not easy to uh, say, but I mean, the, I, I can more, I, so they're both amazing. Like when you, so when you spar with them, they're both amazing. They're both super fluid. Right. So it's, it's super, their jujitsu is super technical, super Higgins fluid. Higgins much bigger than Jean-Jacques. Yeah. And Higgins, that's what makes his fluidity even more scary. If you don't understand how big Higgin is, to be honest. Yeah. So the last time I trained with Higgin was like somewhere around 2009, 2010. So we're yeah. talking about like almost a decade ago. Yeah. Um, and you know, at the time I, I, I felt like really on top of my game and I really felt like a white belt with the guy because like no one key locks me, right? no one key locks me. Higgin literally passed my guard. Like he was showing a technique on someone like, like he was showing, like he was showing a technique and then he key locked me. Like he was, it, it, it was, it literally was like. The guy was, it felt like how he teaches the move is exactly how he felt doing it to right. me. And I just remember feeling so helpless. You know, um, my mind was just blown away. I'm like, wow, man, this is, you know, and keep in mind at the time, I'm already a black belt. Right. You're doing it. You're and, in the mix. And, and, and I'm training and I have access to some of the best guys in the world, but 
to tell you the truth, I don't know if I've ever felt anything like that since then. Wow. You know, um, he's 260, but still though, it's, it was, it was insane. <laughs> it was insane. You know? Dr. Pete says the same stuff, man. <laughs> Dr. Pete says the same stuff. It was very humbling, man. It was very humbling. I think, you know, I think, you know, a guy like that, you can train your whole entire life and you'll never tap. Right. Right. <laughs> like for real. And right. I don't think that about anybody, but I do think that about him. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, so, so going back to like the first, you know, how you asked, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're, they're both complete grapplers because like from both of them, I've learned chokes, arm bars, leg locks, passes, and they both talk about being complete grapplers. Right. You know, um, and they're both super nice people. They're both really nice people. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make that don't know jujitsu is that most, most seriously, most people who do jujitsu are chill individuals. They're not like buck wild fight club-ish type of people. I mean, they can be in the mix, but like when I think about the best guys that I've ever come across, they're always chill, man. Very rare to find someone who's like, pretty harebrained in the mix. I would say most. Yeah, it all. was most. Not I, Definitely not all. I would say most, yeah. but not all. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> you know, def definitely like, not all. I've been around some, some wild stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I've had my moments too, so yeah. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a saint. Yeah, they don't call 300 for nothing, but you know what I mean? Um, now, let me ask you this, and I didn't even intend to ask you this. Um, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago uh, the spiritual aspects of jujitsu. Man, let me just say, like, it's very hard for me to come across people who are at the black belt level that don't believe in a spiritual aspect of jujitsu on some level. When did you start to see a spiritual element in jujitsu and and for those that don't understand it, whether they're a white belt or a blue belt or a purple belt or someone who does not practice or someone who doesn't do MMA, why? Why is there a spiritual element to this? Why do you believe there's a spiritual element to this? Well, the first time I was really introduced to that idea with jujitsu was watching Choke with Hicks and Gracie, right? That's an amazing, Choke is a documentary about Hicks and Gracie if you don't know how to spell that, it's R-I-C-K-S-O-N, and it's on YouTube, you can watch it. Continue. And um, so that's one of my favorite documentaries. Even still now, so much stuff has come out and like- Nothing but, touches Choke, bro. Yeah, you know? There's even chess in Choke. Exactly. Um, So that was my introduction to jujitsu being spiritual or like anyone I had ever heard talk, talk about, you know, the spirituality of, you know, jujitsu. That was my introduction to it. Now, that was the introduction. What was the, 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 the question after that? I think I was asking like, what was your introduction to like on a personal level where you start, you know what I mean? Cause when I, when I started doing jujitsu, I didn't feel nothing spiritual, not at white belt, not even at blue. I think, I think approaching purple, I started to feel it. And from purple into brown for sure. Cause I'm a philosophical dude, but you know what I mean? 
I mean, man, it's it's hard. It's, it's hard to answer this question. I know, I know. But and, and and I'm only talking for myself. So I started training at a young age, and I realized. I realized that everything is pretty much energy. Right. Right. And and that was a realization that came through what people were talking about around me and then just my observation of life. And what I learned from that was pretty much you want to be as positive as possible, you know? And so it's more mentality of, you know, positivity, being positive, you know, about yourself, having faith and being positive to other people. Like, for example, um, when you're a teacher, right, you should always say positive and uplifting things to your students or whoever you're training and you're coaching. You know, um, there shouldn't be any negativity. It should just be positivity because your job is to uplift other people. And that's, uh, there's that, you know, and then the attitude of gratitude, I would say. Right. You know, and that's, that's a huge thing in jujitsu for me. And that, and that, that, that's something that, you know, I learned from Eddie, you know, he, he always said, you know, drill appreciation you know, drill appreciation. So, you know, um, that's something I always try to focus on. Yeah. Is just being positive and uh, being grateful for what I have, you know? And for example, there've been many days that I've trained and I was preparing for, you know, uh, a big tournament or a big match and I had a terrible day of training. Right. You know, and I'm ultra competitive. I hate to lose. And, you know, it would bother me how I felt. It would bother me. And then instead of like the outcome not going my way, I would just be like, all right, well, you know, you chose to do this. You love jujitsu. You know, you'd rather be doing this than anything else. Right. You know, and um, even though you got your ass kicked, you still love what you do. So, it's still all Keep good, going. you know? Yeah, yeah it's still it all beautiful. good. It, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's still a beautiful day, dude. Like, you know, all right. Yeah, you took an ass whooping. Yeah, you got tapped a bunch of times. Yeah, you might be questioning yourself, whatever, but at the end of the day, you still do what you love, so just keep going. You know, that's it. You know, just be grateful for what you have. And um, that attitude, man, that attitude, you are, know? Are there any books in particular that have influenced your understanding of jujitsu or how you teach it? I'm just curious. The books. Um, just because I know you've read a lot of different stuff. I was just curious. You know what, man? It, it, it's, I, I, I've, been, I've been involved with this for such a long time and there have been so many influences. It would be hard just to say, you know, you know, just one thing, but right. 
Um, there was this book that I read when I was 15 years old called The Mental Edge by Kenneth Baum. That book really influenced me. Okay. That was my introduction to like positivity and you know sports psychology and goal setting and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, later on in my life, there was this book that I read called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah, it's a great book. It was a great book. That was a huge influence. Um, there's this guy named Dr. Thurman Fleet, which a friend of mine named Dr. Peter Goldman introduced me to. He's my chiropractor. And I've read a bunch of his work. Um, there's a book called The Rays of the Dawn. Yeah, Rays of the Dawn is mandatory reading for everyone. Whether you do jujitsu or not, if you don't go buy Rays of the Dawn, you're kind of going out right now. I'm just telling you. It's a great book. Yeah, so there's that. Um, Dr. Thurman Fleet. Yep, Dr. Thurman Fleet. There was a book that I had read called Conquest of Mind. Um, it's by, I have a hard time pronouncing the guy's name, but I, I don't want it, so you I don't want to. Butcher it. Look that up on Amazon, people. Conquest of Mind. It's, uh, there was that book. Um, oh, you know a book I really loved, man? Hmm. The Kabbalion. I don't even know it. The Kabbalion is basically this book that talks about how everything is energy. Okay. And talks about the seven universal laws of uh, life. It's it's based off of Egyptian mysticism, basically. Okay. Um, Sounds sick. It, yeah, and like it's it, it's it's a it's it's a very unique book. Okay. It's a very unique book. You okay. know, it's uh it's like spiritual slash occult. All right, a spiritual slash occult. You know, um, <laughs> I really enjoyed that book, and I still read it. Um, oh, Art of War. You know what's funny? You were the guy that told me to read The Art of War. I remember. <laughs> you were the guy that told me to read The Art of War. The OG, you see? You see? Think, man, come on, bro. And I'll give you two other books that you really that you told me to read. Go. You told me to read The Art of War, then you told me to read The Art of Peace, and I actually liked The Art of Peace better. I know, right? People sleep on The Art of Peace, man. Everybody sleeps on The Art of Peace. It's still, like, I, and I, I will never hate on Sun Tzu, ever, but I'm saying The Art of Peace is fire it's so beautiful it's underestimated forever man ridiculous i would also say i enjoyed the book of five rings yeah you know yeah um here's a classic you know that probably won't surprise anybody but you know the Tao of jeet Kune Do. that was uh so smoking yeah that 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 book you know by bruce lee was uh was a huge influence you know, uh, it really opened up my mind. The, the truth is, when you when you talk about my introduction to martial arts and spirituality, right. that was probably the first book that you know talked about martial like like really introduced me to martial arts and spirituality. And but that that was martial arts and spirituality, not jujitsu and spirituality. Right. right? I feel what you're saying. Two different things. Yeah. That the, the, they're 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 similar, but they're different. You know what I mean? I would go so far as to say that 
Because if I had to ask myself that same question, like, yes, you know, I read the Art of Peace back when I was training at house, read the Book of Five Rings when I was training at house, right? Mm -hmm. Art of War, all that. But like, I think the spiritual side of jujitsu comes from the training. Like, I don't think that like, we, I can talk to any one of my students about the spiritual aspects of jujitsu, but until it gets awakened in them in a match or in a tournament, like it's just it's just words and symbols and like signposts. But but I don't think that I, I think that individually the trigger hits each of us different. I you know I agree a hundred percent. Like it doesn't. You can read all the books that you want, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. You yeah. have to train, and you know what? You have to get to the point to where like you can handle getting your ass beat and you can keep going. Yep. And I mean, the greatest thing that I feel like jujitsu teaches people is to not quit. Is to Say not, that one more time, bro. The, the greatest thing that I think jujitsu teaches people is to not quit and to keep going, you know, to keep going, you know, and like, and how to embrace the struggle of life. So, now I'm 31. When I, you know, when I first started training, I was very young and stupid. And are we all at 21? And and I'm I'm pretty much sure I'm still young and stupid. I just have a little bit better understanding you have some, of things. Some more wisdom under your belt. Yeah, but you know, you can be wise and still be a fool. Yeah, you know that's that. who I am. I'm the wise fool. You'd be like, damn, he's sure hella deep. I'm like stop <laughs> you are though you are <laughs> you know man um oh you know what man hmm. you know who what uh, we talk about books you know what uh i was really into and this is this is even like before jujitsu or anything like that hmm. was greek philosophy and that was something that my father taught me that yeah. was something that was, you know. What was he showing you? I'm curious, because my introduction was, actually, I started looking at the end of philosophy because of KRS-One. He made that song, My Philosophy. You know what I'm saying? That's an old school hip hop jam. And I was like, yo, I got, and so what happened is, I went to a, a used bookstore on Hate Street. I think I could find it if it's still there, because I kind of remember the area. But I bought this book and it had the apology in it. That's all I knew. I knew that Socrates had written the apology and it had this other book that I think is way better than the apology called Euthyphro. And so I went and I bought it, but I'm going to say in all humility that I didn't know how to say Socrates. So I called him Socrates. And I remember I went to my dad after I read the book and I was like, dude, I read Socrates. And my dad was laying on the bed. He was like, what the, what? You know what I'm saying? It was hilarious. But yeah, Greek philosophy. I like, I like Socrates. Yeah, Socrates I've, is hard. You know, you know, I've actually heard people call him that. Yeah. And then what's hilarious is when, when I saw, I hadn't even think about it, when I saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, they call him Socrates. And I was like, I'm going out. <laughs> it's all good, man. But what did you? What did your father teach you? Like, tell me, like, what? What was you know? Was it Stoic philosophy? Was it pre-Socratic? Was it Socrates? Like, what was it? I think by nature, all Greeks are raised with philosophy. I think that's embedded into the Greek culture. Agreed. You know, 
Um, I think after this, the, the, the battery's gonna die. Break it down and then we'll close it out. Yeah, I think, I think all Greeks are, um, you know, they're, they're all top philosophy. I think that's just part of the culture. But I mean, the biggest thing that my dad taught me was to, you know, always try to be the best and always to do my best and to pretty much always try and win, you know? Um, what did you read at that age? What was he, what, do you remember any books or was this about him lacing you as a father to a son? He was just, you know, he would just talk about this, you know, and um, he would also talk about, you can make a thousand mistakes a day, just trying not to make the same one. And, you know, every day is another day to, is another opportunity to learn. You're yeah. always learning, you know, like, um, and, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, and like, those are simple things, but they're, they're very big things. They're my, they, and, and, and they're, they're, they're beautiful things when you're 10 or nine or, you know what I mean? As you start to evolve in, into a, a young teenager, preteen, you know, those, yeah. Things are powerful. I, I feel like it was like the philosophy of success. And then like, you know, he would tell me history about Alexander the Great and um, things of that nature, you yeah. know. And then like, as I went to school, I started studying on my own, you know, history, yeah. Yeah. history and like philosophy. And, you know, out of all the, you know, out of the, like the three, like, most popular like Greek philosophers that are most well known for me, Aristotle, Right, he's the best, you know, I mean, and I think, you know, everybody knows his best student, it's Alexander the Great, so, yeah. you know, he's the guy I think that he produced. Yeah, no, <laughs> You know what real. I'm saying? It's real. Um, but, uh, yeah. Man, well listen, Denny, thank you for being on the Bishop Chronicles, man. I appreciate you. It's sometimes hard for me to interview you because I feel so close to you, you know what I'm saying, in certain ways, because I've known you for so long. But um, I appreciate you sharing your time, and I know our listeners feel the same. If someone's trying to get in contact with you, where can they hit you? Uh, BJJ San Francisco is my website. Uh, if you want to learn jiu-jitsu from me, um, Instagram, at Denny Prokopos. Twitter, same thing. Facebook, same thing. And um, Adisa, thank you very much for having me on. You yeah, know, bro. I love you. You're my boy. You know, I've known you for a long time. I love you and, too, bro. It's, uh, it's awesome. Thank you for being you. And, you know, thank you for another uh, great opportunity to be on your podcast and uh, to share time with you, man. Word, man. Well, we're going to get you on again because, you know what? We did this whole ass interview and we didn't even talk about hip hop we didn't even talk about the music that we was playing today Philip Glass you know what I'm saying yep. we, didn't, we didn't even talk about dilated peoples we didn't even talk about Wu-Tang and when you when you when you did the first when you did the first uh, hip hop chest when you at the hip hop chest thing when you and Gumby did the first jujitsu uh, instructionals you know what I'm saying so we, we gotta have you back on and we'll have you back on soon like for real like in a couple of weeks we'll get you back on for a part two and we'll just be talking about hip hop and martial arts on that one man but thank you for being down appreciate you this is Bishop Chronicles this is FarsideTV.com talking about Side Life Radio you know what I'm saying this is the Black Dragon of the West Side you know what I'm saying 
it's Uncle House Shoes, baby. We out here chilling on the West Coast, man. Stop playing. You know we raw. All right? Peace. Teacher, what style is that? Technique. <laughs>